Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Houston to speak with Ben Dubose of Locked On Rockets on the Houston perspective on the Ryan Anderson, Brandon Knight trade. We'll also go to Phoenix to speak with Evan Sidery of Locked On Suns about the Phoenix perspective, about what it means in getting rid of Brandon Knight and acquiring Ryan Anderson, along with the uh, departure of Marquise Chris. And lastly, we go to Philadelphia to speak with Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers about the Philadelphia 76ers search for a GM to replace Brian Colangelo. It's coming up the biggest stories with the local experts on locked on nba you are locked on the nba part of the locked on podcast network Hi guys, welcome back to Locked On NBA, another Monday edition. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I am the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and I am the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Not much normally happens at the end of August, but we had a trade go down, so let's get the perspectives on that, plus what's happening in Philadelphia. But let's get to it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, and that is Ben Dubose, to discuss the trade that went down a couple of days ago, where Houston sent out Ryan Anderson and the draft rights to DeAnthony Melton. In exchange, they receive Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. Ben, first of all, what's the uh, I guess what's the reaction from uh, for Rockets fans? We know they've been trying to unload Ryan Anderson for what seems like an inordinate amount of time. They did give up a, a highly regarded prospect, albeit the 46th pick in the draft. But does this feel like a, a win for Daryl Morey? Largely, it does, although it's speculative. I think the initial reaction from people in Houston is to celebrate because it's been so long that Anderson, that $20 million a year contract, has been on the block that conceivably any move feels like a good win. The reality, though, when you look at it, it's a little more of a speculative play. The bottom line is that they're hoping, I think, two things. One, maybe Marquise Chris has better luck in the situation. Houston is more friendly for his skill set, more simple. And then as far as Brandon Knight, either A, he's a reclamation project, or more likely B, the view is that Knight's $15 million a year contract expiring in 2020 for a guy who's 26 years old, is more tradable down the line than Ryan Anderson's contract, a guy who's 30 years old and making $20 million a year. So in some ways, there's some upside. I think after, as well as Melton played in summer league, there's a little bit of uh, skepticism at giving him up. But the reality is that it's mostly a speculative move in terms of either Knight surprising you to the upside or him potentially being a better trade ship a few weeks or months from now than Ryan would have been. So I think people are cautiously optimistic now, but it's more wait and see what the uh, the next moves are from here. You and me talked about Ryan Anderson on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball uh, preview podcast saying that he was likely not to be an every night part of the rotation. So you know, losing him doesn't really affect Houston too much in that regard. We talk about the salary cap uh, portions, but Marquise Chris now comes in. You talk about a reclamation project. He has been fairly poor in his two years in Phoenix. Do you think that Phoenix, uh, not Phoenix, that Houston is looking at Chris as a guy that's going to be that uh, you know, break glass in case of emergency type of guy who's going to play as the third center behind? 
behind Nene or play on those nights when when Nene is uh, resting, similar to how Tariq Black did it last season? Or do you think they're looking at him a little bit more highly and looking to include him as part of the every night rotation? I think the fair analysis for Chris, uh, fair, I guess, parallel for Chris starting off would be to Brandon Wright, who the Rockets got as a buyout candidate around the deadline this past year. They were initially optimistic when they did that. And the thought was that depending on the matchup, Nene, if it's more of a power team, Wright, if it's more of a speed, finesse team, and you mix and match, essentially those being 2A, 2B as far as your backup centers behind Capella. And on our podcast the other day, the fantasy preview, we noted that behind Capella, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of minutes that someone could theoretically grab. Unfortunately, even though Brandon Wright on paper looked like a really good addition for them in February, his knee never checked out, actually just played one game and ended up being released because he was never healthy. So I think that's what they see Chris as, a more athletic option that if a team is too athletic, too fast-paced, for what's going to be a 36-year-old Nene, that that's where you can throw in Chris. So it's a bit similar to Tarek Black, maybe slightly higher than that. But I don't think the Rockets are going into this with major expectations thrust upon him for a role. I think they're going to give him spot minutes here or there. And if he surprises to the upside in terms of flashing what made him a lottery pick two years ago, I think they'll take that as a pleasant surprise if and when that happens. There's a chance that, that this trade is, you know, people, it's because we're talking late August, you know, we're, you know, trade that involves names that people know about. There's a lot of reaction to this deal that went down. But in reality, Ben, we could be talking about two guys in night and in Chris that come across who aren't even a part of the every night rotation. You know, at this stage, you know, people say, oh, Brandon Knight's going to be this immediate backup to Chris Paul. But we remember last season that we, the, the Rockets used a three man guard rotation and it was Eric Gordon, it was James Harden, it was Chris Paul. And I don't expect, you know, one of those guys to be you pushed out of the rotation necessarily. Of course, Harden and Paul aren't, and, and Gordon, maybe yeah, he plays some three at times, but it's not like Knight is coming into this ready-made role or position that was available last season. He comes in and, and I believe, you know, battles against Michael Carter-Williams in an offense-slash-defense type position. Maybe he can take some of the minutes away from Gerald Green, but this is a guy who's no guarantee to even be back to anywhere near his best, which was two, three years ago after an ACL injury, and yeah, doesn't come in at, you know, in a ready-made role here in Houston. I don't believe anyway, but if you've got something different to say on it, uh, let's hear it. I largely agree, and it's worth noting there was a report out of Phoenix. I haven't been able to confirm it yet, although I've tried. There was a report out of Phoenix that Knight had a minor cleanup on that knee about six weeks ago, and that he might not be ready for training camp. The report did say that he would be ready for the regular season, but if he's not ready to go from training camp, and that puts him further behind the eight ball in terms of that roster crunch. The one path that I could see to minutes for Knight is if Eric Gordon plays more at the three, you alluded to that. I put on Twitter the other day, I was a bit surprised, and I think the Rockets might have been too, by just how playable Gordon was down the stretch of some of those Western Conference Finals games against the Warriors. And then you look at their threes from last year, you lost Ariza and Bob Mute. Really, the only three you brought in is James Ennis, because I think it's clear now after moving Anthony, Carmel, or after moving Ryan, excuse me, Carmelo Anthony is your replacement for Ryan. He's not your replacement for either Ariza or Bob Mute. So, it wouldn't shock me if they're looking at Eric Gordon in those three-guard lineups a little bit more than they did this past season. And if that's the case, then potentially there's a pathway for Knight to get some minutes at the backup guard spot behind Chris Paul that would have went to Gordon last year. But then, as you mentioned, it's not a guarantee that Knight even gets those because they do believe in the defense of Michael Carter-Williams after losing to Anthony Melton. Defense is a need, and it remains to be seen just how healthy Knight is because he hasn't played in you know, basically two seasons, and now he's coming off another minor 
procedure on that knee. So there is a pathway that he could get minutes, but it's far from a guarantee that he's actually going to get those. And even in the season before the ACL injury, he was struggling playing a, a limited role in Phoenix. Some of that was to do with you know, the way they were developing yeah, Eric Bledsoe and Devin Booker, but he was only playing 21 minutes a night before that ACL injury anyway, and he was struggling there. He's never been the same guy that he was in that little stretch where he had uh, in Milwaukee, where he was putting up you know, pretty pretty considerable numbers, but still was a, a, a big a negative defensively and not the greatest of playmakers. So yeah, people looking at this as this game-changing type of trade, I think that if this was the sort of deal that went down in December, it wouldn't get anywhere near that level of, of attention. But of course, we're in August. There's, there's not very much happening in the NBA world, and these are recognizable names that have moved around. And I think we're trading a little bit on past reputations for guys like Knight and Anderson when we're evaluating uh, this deal. And even Chris, just uh, you see a lot of it thrown around, Ben, yeah, former lottery pick. Well, he hasn't you know, performed up to that level. But I guess if we're looking at, at teams who can get that out of him, the Rockets and the way they develop players, Mike D'Antoni's coaching, and of course, having James Harden and Chris Paul to be able to get him the ball in uh, ideal situations is a little bit better than, say, Tyler Eulis doing that in Phoenix. But that all remains to be seen. The Rockets made a move. Daryl Morey is never sleeping. He's always he's always doing things, always trying to improve the team. Whether that actually does in this case remains to be seen, but I don't think anyone could argue, Ben, that it is a positive in getting off those, uh, those extra $6 million per year that Ryan Anderson uh, was getting paid so all in all, uh, I guess the overall takeaway from the Rockets is it's a it's a positive move, and they they look to continue to improve after a shaky start to free agency. I would say so, and I think the realistic way to look at this trade is that anything Brandon Knight gives you, as far as being a consistent rotation player, if that were to happen, that's a bonus. That's not the expectation. I think the more realistic expectation for Daryl Morey, how he's looking at this, is that in a few weeks or months, a Brandon Knight at fifteen million dollars a year and 26 years old, you might could see a team like Atlanta, so to speak, and I use them as a hypothetical because the Rockets have been linked a lot to Kent Bazemore as a potential 3 and D type. You might could see Atlanta saying, well, maybe Brandon Knight is worth a flyer, especially if he flashes a little bit in Houston. I don't think a team like Atlanta is going to see a 30-year-old Ryan Anderson at $20 million a year as any sort of worthwhile flyer. So I think it's just a small upgrade in your trade chips moving forward. I think that's the more reasonable way to look at it. Now, long-term, as we discussed last week, I do think that the odds are Phoenix probably got the best player in this trade, being the Anthony Melton, and that is going to be lost for the Rockets. I do think the Rockets like the idea that Melton, as he was on the upswing of his career, potentially absorbs some minutes from Chris Paul when he's on the downswing in the years to come. But the bottom line is that when you have Chris Paul, James Harden, Carmelo Anthony, that core at 29 years old and older, Clint Capella, the only really 25 and under guy in your rotation, you've got to have more about the now than the future. And this is a move that maybe it helps the rotation now, but worst case, it puts them in a better position come the trade deadline to get better now. And for the Rockets, with Gil Morey and this core, it's all about the next year or two. And from that prism, I think it's a pretty positive move. Well, Ben, thank you for jumping on and discussing this trade that went down a couple of days ago. Make sure you're checking out Ben over on Locked On Rockets. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Josh. Let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Suns podcast. It is Evan Sidery here to talk about this trade that went down from a Phoenix Suns perspective. Evan, I guess the first question I'll ask you is, what's the general, I guess, uh, temperature of Phoenix fans and their uh, their level of attitude towards this trade and GM Ryan McDonough at the moment? It seems kind of lukewarm, to be honest, because I've seen some people say it's a bad trade just because taking, taking back Ryan Anderson's contract, but I've also seen some really good ones 
I'm on I'm on the good camp to be honest, Josh, because I'm really big on D'Anthony Mellon. He was a top twenty prospect prospect on my board. And then when you add that in together, we're getting offered a nice contract. Ryan Anderson agreed to restructure his contract for next year. That if the Suns do indeed stretch his contract, he would be only be fifteen point six million dollars, which would be the same amount as Brandon Knight. So they they really don't lose any money next summer than they would have gotten. And Marquise Chris was kind of the the, the project they were working on still, but it, it looks like they obviously chose Dragon Bender instead, which I think is a smart decision. So I think on the temperature kind of is in the middle. I've seen a lot of bad and a lot of good, but I'm personally on, on the good side for the Suns right now. The I think Ryan Anderson reducing that guarantee for the 1920 season is, is key as well. Um, the Suns you know, they can decide to waive him, and they're only going to cost them the 15 million, or, or he stays around for 21 million dollars. Obviously, that's the same amount of what Brandon Knight was due in that 1920. Um, season at $15.6 million. They do get DeAnthony Melton back. Marquise Chris had struggled through his first couple of seasons in the NBA. Um, you know, I, I was I was positive on this trade from the Suns' perspective initially. Woj came out with, with a tweet after that. They're looking at this, you know, Ryan Anderson to be the starter, which to me is, you know, Anderson still has some value. It doesn't really make a huge amount of sense. That defensive pairing with DeAndre Ayton could be a struggle. And it also limits, especially if they're looking for another point guard, it limits with these four wings who can all be useful players. It limits the minutes that Ariza McCall Bridges, Josh Jackson, and TJ Warren can get. Is this you know, setting up for another move down the track to maybe clear out someone like TJ Warren? I think so. I think TJ Warren, the writing is obviously on the wall now. I thought that beforehand he could survive being on the roster with McHill Bridges and Josh Jackson because we all expected, even Ryan McDonough told us that Trevor Reeves was going to be starting the power four position. Yeah. So now they go out and trade for Anderson. Woj says that Anderson will start power four. Reeves will now start the three. So neither Josh Jackson or TJ Warren or Mikhail Bears will be starting this year, it looks like. So it, it seems as if, if they're trying to get playing time for the two top rookies for the past two drafts with Josh Jackson and Mikhail Bridges, I think TJ Warren going out in some sort of deal for someone like a, a lower-tier point guard, maybe like an average point guard, someone like a Patty Mills, maybe a Goran Dragic makes a lot of sense for both sides. Now, if they can't acquire another point guard, is there? Now, I I believe this is what they should be doing, or at least running him in this sort of role. Devin Booker playing that James Harden type of a role as a primary playmaker. He started a few games at point guard last season, so his assist rate tick up significantly uh, over the second half of the season. Is there any merit in them looking at him playing that primary uh, playmaker, primarily ball handler type role uh, alongside even someone, if it is Josh Jackson or, or McCall Bridges, for chunks of time? Or the Sun? Yeah, dead set against that. I think Igor, I know Igor Kokoska, the head coach, said that they were against the idea of Booker running point guard a while, a couple months ago. But with how the roster is setting up now, it seems as if they are sort of experimenting a little bit more than they did last year with Devin Booker as the primary ball handler. Because, like you mentioned there, the James Hart comparisons are kind of too eerie to not look at because the assist percentages keep going up for Booker. He's going to by far have the most talent and space around him he's had his past three years especially DeAndre Aiden down low. I expect his assist percentage to go up into the 30% category. And with how Igor likes to run his offense, maybe six to seven assists per game is not that out of the question for someone like Booker. And if you add that all together, I think with the best line combination the Suns can bring out, which is Booker, Jackson, Bridges, Ariza, and Aiden, that's your five best guys on the floor. There are four wings surrounding Booker. I think that makes a ton of sense for him and also for long-term because, like you mentioned at the James Turner comparison, I think down the line, Booker could easily become that. And with how Igor's system looks, how it's going to be, I think it's the ideal thing, at least maybe not now, but 
two or three years down the line. Yeah, that's I, I agree with that one hundred percent. I think that is going to be his best role now. Whether the the idea is maybe they look to that, and someone like DeAnthony Melton would be a perfect fit next to him with his defensive tenacity, with his ability to play both positions, and and the improved shooting we saw from him. Um, I, I think you know, some people may be a little bit down on Melton because oh, he's a second round pick; he hasn't even been signed to a contract, pick number forty six. But I, I, along with many other people who are well more um, knowledgeable in terms of looking at the draft, had Melton a lot higher than that and thought the Rockets got a significant steal. So. How much of this trade do you think was the Suns getting Anderson or how much of it was the Suns getting Melton, bearing in mind that the Suns had a chance to draft DeAnthony Melton and pick 31 where they chose Elia Kobo? I think it's a little bit of both. I would lean more towards DeAnthony Melton though because I think I think we're both in agreement that he is the top guy that was sent out in this deal because like I mentioned earlier, he had a lottery grade on my board. He was 13th overall and getting two or excuse me, four top 25 guys now with Elia Kobo Melton, Bridges, and Aiden. I think that brings a lot of merit to them kind of going all in on this draft class around Devin Booker. And if you think about it that way, it seems like I'm a big guy of Melton, and I think obviously they had Elliot Cobra ranked higher. I think they had a, a probably a top 20 grade on Elliot Cobra because they said they were going to they were considering him at 16 overall. He slipped to 31. Maybe DeAnthony Melton had a top 20, top 25 grade right below Cobo, and they just think that. They can have two cheap guys for the next three to four years cost-controlled. And it not only helps their salary cap, but it helps them get younger and also more talented. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that uh, being the case as well. And uh, Kokobo looked okay at Summer League. Melton looked very, very good. So maybe they've had you know, a slight change of opinion on, on the way they view those guys. But yeah, with uh, just those two and Shaq Harrison really on the roster at the moment at point guards, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, more trades <clears throat> more trades could be coming with, with someone like TJ Warren moving out for another point guard. The Suns aren't finished dealing. It was a, a deal that I guess not many people expected to happen. There's uh, There's been, um, I guess, conflicting uh, opinions on the way this all went down, but we guess we're going to see how it all pans out, how the rotations play out, and what other moves are coming for the Suns, and any of those other moves that do come for Phoenix, you can check out all of the reactions, all the opinions over on Locked On Suns. Evan, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA and chatting to me. No problem, Josh. Anytime. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Sixers podcast, that is Keith Pompey. The Sixers have been without a uh, a GM since uh, Burnergate, Collegate, whatever you want to call it. Keith, and now the latest reports ha- are that the uh, the Sixers have been granted permission to speak to three front office executives acro- around the league, Golden State's Larry Harris, Houston's Gerson Rosas, and Utah's Justin Zanuck. Uh, Brett Brown has been currently ha- handling the GM job. First of all, Keith, do you think there's the Sixers feel like they're in any rush? Obviously, the big areas of a GM's job, the draft and free agency, have already come and gone. So do you think they're in any rush to get this uh, new guy in? No, they're not not at all. And, and, and to advance that story in, in regards to uh, granted interviews, they are going to interview them this week um, as early as, as Tuesday. That's when they're going to start the interviewing process. But no, they're not in a rush at all. I mean, I, I think right now, a person that they're looking for is is basically someone who can win a press conference for them because they feel like they have everything else in place. So, you know, right now their focus is on, you know, building f- towards free agency. They feel like the ownership group, people they have representing the team, the people they have in the front office, you know, Brett Brown, they feel like everyone is in place. Right now they're just looking at someone who can come across and, and win a press conference and work in a collaborative environment. 
but um, so they're not really in a rush at all. Harris was the Bucks GM from 2003 to 2008, works with Golden State now as well, part of the coaching staff and in the front office and has been the assistant GM there. Now, you talk about winning winning a press conference. Is there any name out of this you know, Harris, Rosas, Zanik group that potentially could do that? You know, it, it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, I, I think, you know, you know, I, I, Zanik, you know, he was a, you know, he's a, both of these guys, all three of them actually are, are successful. Um, but when you look at Harris, you know, you look at him and you see that he's a guy, you know, who, you know, you got Golden State. They won three out of the last four um, championships. You know, he's a guy who, who talks to the media out in Golden State. You know, he's a guy, his father was Dale Harris. So if you're just talking about name, he's the name guy. And then you have, you know, Zanuck, you know, you know, right now you look at you, you, what, what Utah Jazz is doing, and you know he's an up and comer. You know, you know before he was supposed to be GM and waiting at another job, and then you know he decided to leave that position. But when you look at what the Utah Jazz is doing in the last couple of years, you have to say you know he's another hot guy as well. And then you know the the, the third guy, Rojas, you know the Houston Rockets. You know, we look at what the Rockets are doing, and, and then the Rockets are, like, really, really into analytics, and so are the 76ers. But, so, you know, it, it depends on what they're looking for. I think all three of them fit the profile. But if you just say that there was one guy in particular, just because of the team won three out of four titles, and his father was a, a, a longtime coach in the NBA, you know, that's Harris. But again, that's not taking anything from the other two because, you know, one's an analytic guy and the other guy is one of the league's up and coming, you know, uh, general manager. Yeah, Zanuck has a pretty good reputation around the league as well. His name's been kicked around as a potential GM in, in many different spots. Um, I, I believe that we heard that name mentioned in Milwaukee uh, a few years back mm-hmm. for Zanuck to get that position as well. And he's always been sort of in and around these openings. And you mentioned the analytics side with Houston and Rios. He, the the Sixers, the report came out earlier that they had you know, at least made some sort of overtures towards getting Daryl Morey to come across to Philadelphia. So you know they're very well in tune with with his way of thinking and his way of team building. So yeah, moving I guess down the the tree there would be a, a logical step. Brett Brown has been handling the GM duties so far. Keith, what's been the general I guess evaluation of the moves that he has made through free agency? Do you think that? With Brown handling that dual role, that um, you could place an element of maybe not maybe blames the wrong word, but uh, I guess the, the the cause of maybe the Sixers not getting some of the free agent targets that they were looking for. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I think I, I think that could contribute to it. I mean, a little bit, not saying you know, you know, because no one knows the direction you know that the team is going to go in. You know, so if you're LeBron James or, you know, or if you're um, Paul George or someone like that, I mean, you want to know, like, who's going to be in charge and, and you know, who's going to be, you know, my guy, so to speak. And, and the Sixers just didn't have that. Um, but also, you know, I also think that, you know, with, with, with another factor is that, you know, from day one, a year ago, everyone was saying LeBron was going to go to L.A. And we all were saying that. And then it just got to a point where, 
you know, other teams start, oh, well, maybe he'll go to Houston. Maybe he'll go to Philly. Oh, maybe he'll stay in Cleveland. But I think that from the beginning, you know, it was L.A. I think that we just changed the narrative. And in regards to Paul George, I think that, you know, he just fell in love with, with OKC. To, so it got to a point where, you know, he didn't even like, give the Lakers uh, an interview. You know, so I, I think it was one of those things where these two guys went places that, you know, that they felt like was best for them in the long run. But again, I think if Brian Colangelo was there and you have Jerry Colangelo backing them up, I think it would have made it a, a lot more enticing for these guys to give the Sixers a stronger look. It's going to be interesting to see exactly which direction they go in promoting one of these assistant GMs. Um, the Sixers obviously prime for a, a pretty interesting and, and hopefully successful season, Keith. So you can check out everything over on Locked On Sixers. Keith Pompey, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. That does it. Another episode of Locked On NBA in the books. You can follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and make sure you're following us as a network at Locked On NBA Net. Check out the new college podcasts as well, the new Locked On Fantasy Football and the new Locked On NFL lineup with the experts and Matt Williamson. Make sure you're checking all that out, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.